good almost afternoon, guys. Hey, it is so good to be with you. Uh, you managed to all find your seats uh, in the chaos that just ensued. It all worked out. I don't think no children got stepped on. It's all good. Good job. It's fantastic. Um, it's always, you do wonder what the capacity of rooms like this are. Um, I'm not sure if we've hit it or not, but we may well have. It's been packed today, and it's so good to see you. If you're, um, if you're new here today, if, if you haven't gone before, you, I just want to add my welcome to you. Uh, you're so welcome here. I remember maybe just over a decade ago, I walked into a church like this um, for the first time. I, I wasn't a Christian at the time. And uh, there were plenty of things that were just strange about it that I'd never seen before. Um, and I think this probably beats it, if I'm being completely honest, because we just baptized someone in a jacuzzi. I think me, pre-Jesus, just would have had no idea what was going on. What are you guys doing? You are crazy. Um, but you guys have stuck around and stuck through it. Good job. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that happened today. Uh, and why we do it, why we do the things we do that I think to the outside world can look a little bit odd, if I'm being totally honest. Um, but honestly, it's been so cool. I think, uh, Joe and Tom, it's so cool not just seeing you today, not just hearing your testimonies, but seeing God work in you. Yeah. Seeing these wonderful stories as God has, um, has met with you, has spoken into your lives, has given you hope and joy and peace. It's been such a, a wonderful privilege to be a little part of that journey with you guys. I don't think they're here, so I'm actually saying it to I'll, I'll say it again later on, it's fine. But um, uh, so yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about baptism. And uh, honestly, it is so, uh, it's such a wonderful coincidence when we have baptisms on Easter. We don't always, but it's amazing. Because baptisms are a picture of why Easter matters. I think we have, uh, you could list hundreds and hundreds of random things we have days for, right? In this country, we have days for the most random, benign things. But apparently they're worth celebrating and having an entire day for them. Um, sometimes a week if they're really important. But for most of these things, bar a few, they don't really make much of a difference to our life. Maybe it's a little bit of an opportunity for a party, Maybe it's an opportunity with a number of days to drink certain things you wouldn't normally drink. Um, but I think the reality is Easter, by what Jesus claims, is important for us today. It's not just celebrating something that happened ages ago that, ah, oh, that's great, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. No, no, no. It's something that's meaningful for us today. That there is power in the event that happened 2,000 years ago for us today. And baptisms are a picture of that. They're a picture of people's lives being changed today. Not just reminding ourselves of something that happened ages ago. It's actually important for us here and now. We're going to unpack a little bit of what that means. And so what we're going to do is step through some of the words. Some of you may have heard, if you were uh, within half a mile of the baptistry, which was difficult, I appreciate. Um, some of you would have heard some of the words that we were um, saying before we dunked them. And so um, what's going to come up on the screen are the, the, these, this is the, uh, the words that we stepped through beforehand, and I'm going to go through them step by step. Just to confuse things a little more, I'm going to begin with the middle one, because it just makes a bit more sense as I'm explaining it. Just hang in there. It's going to be okay. So um, before we dive into it, I'm just going to pray for us super quickly. We believe that God speaks to us. And the reality is, I can be um, a wonderful orator with these wonderful words, but we want more than just um, hearing me chat for a little while. We want God to speak to us. So Lord God, I pray, would you speak to us today? We thank you for your death, 
your burial and your resurrection and the power that it gives us, the, the hope it gives us, the freedom from sin, shame and guilt that it gives us, the joy and new life that it gives us. God, I pray, would you speak to us through your words today in your name, amen. Amen. So we're going to kick off with, we baptize you into Jesus, that middle one there. And I think the reality is, if you um, ask a random person on the street about who Jesus is, you'll get a variety of different answers. It could be um, anything from, yeah, he's a nice bloke, said some really nice things. Um, He had some good lessons that we could take from. Uh, Maybe you'd uh, agree with someone like Thomas Jefferson, um, who would say that he was a good moral teacher, and that was it. Or maybe uh, you'd see him as a bit more of a hippie, free love. You've seen all the, the films with him, there's his long flowing hair and stuff, which isn't technically correct, but he, you know, he just seems like this just feel good kind of guy. Um, or maybe he just seems like a guy who's just uh, this old Jewish guy from history that we can't really relate to. You will hear a variety of different perspectives on who Jesus is. Who is really Jesus? So we're going to look a little bit about what he says about himself. We're going to go through Jesus' perspective, Jesus' priorities, and also Jesus' payment. First of all, Jesus' perspective. We, we see the Bible makes very clear that he is both God and man. He's, we see that he's man in that he was literally a physical human being. He wasn't just this floaty, spiritual guy floating about the place. He wasn't really with it. Like, he was a physical, real man. He ate foods. Like, he suffered. He cried. He probably went to the toilet. It wasn't documented, but we assume he did. And, and he was a physical, real person. And more than that, he was a person who knew and related to people. I, I mean, saying he's human doesn't mean much because some humans aren't very nice. What we see with Jesus is he was a person who knew people. He stepped into their world, he knew them, and he loved them. We see a person who came as a compassionate man, who loved, who cared, who went to those who were most vulnerable, who were most despised and rejected in society, and he loved them. He was human to the degree where he got down to our level. Um, the, the Bible says that he, he came down from heaven, got down to our level, got down to our understanding and spoke to us. And there was this wonderful story of um, him with a, um, a lady at a well and he starts asking her questions, asking questions about her life, about her background. And she gives him some, some quite surface level um, answers, which to be honest, if you meet a random stranger at a well and they ask you questions about your life, you're going to give them surface level answers. You're not going to tell them all about your life. And, and, and he just starts to push it a bit. And he says, no, 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 I, I know the real you. I know the real you. I know all of the marriages you've been through, the pain, the hurts, the frustrations you have. I know the guilt and the shame you live with. I know you. This is a Jesus who comes to us and knows us. This is a Jesus who loves us and cares with us. And the things that are going through your head right now, the chances are most people in this room don't know the real you. Jesus knows the real you. Jesus knows who you are. But he wasn't just fully man. He was also fully God. The Bible makes very clear throughout it that he did things that only God could do. He forgave sins. He performed the miraculous. He came with authority, with the authority of God. He says, um, he, he quotes, before Abraham was, I am. And some of you who appreciate your grammar will think for a moment, Jesus, that's, that's, that's awful grammar right there. That's a terrible way to speak. But what he's referring to is the way that God would speak about himself. I am who I am. 
I am before the beginning and above the end. That doesn't really make sense. But he's basically outside of time and space. He is God's eternal. And it's kind of difficult to understand how someone, how a person would be that. But Jesus holds within himself both God and man. So this is the perspective he comes with. So when we come to Jesus and listen to what he says, we're hearing from, from someone who understands us, knows us, loves us, but also one who comes with an immense authority. These aren't suggestions. These aren't some nice words over us. Oh, that's nice. I'll take it or leave it because this is also God. He made us. He knows us. He knows how we're supposed to work. I think this is a fascinating question. We're constantly asking, what was I made for? And we're constantly redefining it. Uh, our culture is really, really good at being like, well, actually, what we believed 10 years ago, we didn't really believe that anymore. We now believe this, that we were made to do this kind of thing and work in this kind of way. God would say, no, 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 I made you. I know you more deeply than anyone else in this world does. No matter, more than any scientist or psychologist, I know you. And I made you for a reason. And so the words that he says over us are important and are worth listening to. So that's Jesus' priorities. Secondly, uh, we see Jesus's, uh, sorry, no, that was Jesus's perspective. Secondly, we see Jesus's priorities. We almost skipped ahead then. Uh, he carries, we see Jesus carried a burden with him. This was um, a man who, who, who displayed throughout his time, we see recorded all, a variety of different emotions. Some of them were a real sorrow, a real sorrow as he wept over people. And what, why would he cry over people? That just seems like such an odd thing to do for someone with authority. Why would he come and at, moment, at times cry? The reality is Jesus knew what m- humans were made for. They were made to know God. We see all the way back in Genesis that God and people knew each other. They had conversation. They knew each other. There was no sin in the world. There was nothing that separated people and God. And when Jesus looked upon these people who were made to know God, who were made to know the peace, the security, the hope, the joy, and the salvation of God, they were like, it says in the Bible, sheep without a shepherd. They were just wandering. They just didn't know what to do with themselves, what to do with their life. They were surrounded by sin and shame and guilt, and he just wept over them. And are there times in our life when we feel like sheep without a shepherd? God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with my life? We see Jesus um, stepped into human experience, uh, understood their needs, their, their hurts, their pains, but he didn't just leave it that way. We see that his, his priorities were to call out sin. And we don't really like talking about the side of Jesus. This isn't the side of Jesus that perhaps makes it into pop culture. But he said some pretty harsh things about people. I've got a short list of them. Uh, he called people hypocrites. He called people unfaithful. He called them thieves. He called them a, them a sinful and adulterous generation. I don't know if you've ever used that particular um, offending word for someone. Uh, and he also called someone influenced by Satan. Uh, And like, if this is the same guy who comes as a nice moral teacher, that's pretty outrageous. We see Jesus who is so, so aware that human beings are fallen, that they are imperfect. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all know each of us aren't perfect, right? There are moments where we fail. And the Bible tells us that God created us to live perfectly, And that's why when we don't do what we were intended to do, we feel these senses of guilt and shame and something isn't right. 
I don't know why, but something isn't right. And Jesus called this out. He said, it's because there is sin in your life. You are disconnected from this father that you were made to know. And he was broken for these people. He was broken for them. But he also, he loved these wretched people. He wasn't just calling out their sin. He, was, he absolutely loved them. And if we're, if, if, if we're real with ourselves, we need friends who are willing to speak the truth in love. If we have the, only the friends who, hey, we only let you say nice things to me, they're not really friends. They're like cheerleaders, right? They're not, they're not, they're not friends. Real friends will see stuff in our life that's not right. And not every day. That, that, that kind of friend isn't really a friend. But the kind of friend who, in those moments when there's things in our life that need calling out, they say, hey, look, there's something, I love you. There's something in your life that needs to change. Jesus came into people's lives and did that. I love you. There is brokenness in your life. And we see this with the disciples so many times. And it's wonderful because the Bible doesn't like just skip over the bits where the disciples screw up. It, it really goes into details. And here is a long explanation of how all the disciples screwed up. Like they, time after time, just exhibited not just sin, but also foolishness. And Jesus over and over again, gently, lovingly went to them. I love you, but you're an idiot. <laughs> let, me, let me love you. Let me guide you. Let me, even more than this, die for you. I'm going get, to get into this a little bit later on. But uh, the disciples at the time didn't really understand what was going on. They were like, well, I don't really understand what you're talking about, but okay. Um, but what they saw was Jesus who gently and lovingly called out sin in their life. And Jesus does the same to us today. The reality is there is a separation between us and God, which is our imperfection. The, the moments where we sin, where we turn our back on God, they have caused a divide between us and God. And Jesus offers to do something about that. We, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this. I find this really helpful. God freely chose to be bound to historical human beings and to be placed at the disposal of human beings. God is not free from human beings, but for them. God had no obligation to come down to earth. He, like heaven is great. It was, he was fine just staying up there. But the reality was the, the brokenness of humanity and his love for them compelled him. He, if you like, chose to put his freedom to a side and chose to enslave himself to human sin on that cross. He chose to take our place for our sin. He laid his freedom aside so that we would have the freedom to say yes to him. He, if you like, put his options aside so that we would have the option. And that's why there is, every time we open up this Bible, there is an option presented to us. What are we going to do with Jesus' offer? What are we going to do with the freedom that he has given us to say yes to Jesus. We see in the Old Testament, there is, um, it's, it's a little bit difficult to explain because it, it is an awkward subject to explain, but there's a lot of killing of animals in the Old Testament. Loads and loads and loads of it. And in particular, we see um, in Exodus that God calls his people to take a spotless lamb. Like if you're going to pick any, any animal, maybe apart from bunnies, Lambs just seem the most innocent. The ones that you're like, they, they haven't done anything to anyone. And they look a picture of spotless perfection. And God says, kill them. Kill them. And they will be a picture of my forgiveness for you. And instead of the judgment that your sins deserve, 
being paid by you. They will instead be paid by an innocent animal. And we think of that and we look at it and think, that is so unfair. That is ridiculously unfair. And that's the point. That's the point. Because Jesus comes along and he's called what? He's called the Lamb of God. The picture of Jesus dying on a cross is that it was entirely unfair. Jesus, just like cute little lambs, is a picture of innocence. He lived his life exactly as God called him to. He did everything he should do. He was kind to the utmost. He never bad-mouthed people. He was loving continually. He was, when we try to be perfect versions of ourselves, we always fail. Jesus accomplished that. And so he was perfect. And yet, he was the one who was crucified in our place for our sin. We're supposed to look at it and say, that's just not fair. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To be in Jesus means dying with him and being raised to life with him. He has taken all of our sin. This is wonderful picture. I love baptism because when you go into the water, it is this picture of dying with Christ. When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying all of the old me, the me that I am ashamed of, the me that is full of things that I just haven't done right, dies with Jesus. And that coming out of the water again is a picture of being raised to life with Jesus. I'm a new creation. The old me is gone. The new me in Christ is here. One thing um, we see in the Gospels that Jesus does is that when he um, uh, calls his disciples to himself and they begin following him, they become Christians, he changes their name. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, just an odd thing. Like, why, why would you change their name? The name was perfectly good before. Why, why would there be a name change? And one of the reasons he changes their name is because they're a new person. And so if we're going to be super legalistic, which we're not, but if we were going to be super legalistic, we'd change their names. So Joe and Tom, you would now have new names. Um, but we're not going to do that. But the reality is they are new people. Since saying yes to Jesus, they are new creations. And you have this wonderful fresh start with God. In fact, every day with God is a fresh start. He has taken my shame, my guilt, and my sin. I am a new creation in Christ. So that's what it means to be baptized into Jesus. Number two, we're looking at on the confession of your faith. And I'm going back to the first bit. So what is this confession of faith? There are some old school, um, strange words, confession and faith, that we don't use a huge amount. But here's how the Bible defines it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And what it's saying is that we trust in things that we don't see. And faith is where you, because of some facts, you trust for the future. You trust for the unknown. And this is what faith is. This is what Tom and Joe have done today. They've said, God, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. I don't know what the rest of my life will hold. But I've seen enough. I've seen in Jesus that he loves me, that he is for me, that all of my sin, all of my shame is, has been poured on him. And I can go forward in faith, trusting in him trusting in his finished work that's what faith is but the reality is we all have faith in something we don't don't go about as like people who just don't trust in anything and then become christian oh now i trust in something No, no 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 we all bring with us faith in something sometimes it's things that we explicitly maybe we'll talk about 
Uh, sometimes it's stuff that's implicit. It's actually inside of us, and, uh, but it's what we trust in. Because we all long for, as humans, we're all made desiring security, hope, joy, meaning, and a form of salvation. And I love, uh, like, I love unpacking culture and films because what um, every bit of culture does is present something that will achieve one of those things. Something that will give you hope, something that will give you joy, something that will give you meaning. And we choose for ourselves different things to have faith in. It could be uh, something you know, significant, important, like family or friends or people that we trust in and we have a sense of security, joy and peace because we know these people are around and in our lives. That's why death is such a significant deal because people who we love and we trust in are now not there. And sometimes it's, it's other things. Maybe it's meaningful work. I love my work. I get a sense of meaning and purpose from it. Maybe it's uh, the things we're starting to go into the territory of things that are a little more dodgy now. Uh, maybe it's things like being liked or respected. You know, n- n- none of us proclaim this to the world. But you'll do things where we think, I'll, I'll, I'll be noticed if I'll do that. There's something within me that longs for affirmation. And if I just get that person seeing me doing that thing, just feel amazing. I'll feel brilliant. I'll be built up. I will be, then I will be happy. Maybe it's in uh, things we accomplish. Hey, I've done this wonderful thing. Hey world, look at all the things I've accomplished. That's why Twitter exists. So we can tell people about all the wonderful things that we've accomplished. And, and then I will feel joy. Then I'll feel a hope. Then I'll feel a peace. Or maybe, heck, uh, if we go right to the end, we should go straight to escapism. Escapism is taking something that means you can forget about the rest of the world going on. And sometimes it's helpful to do. Um, I know sometimes you can get so caught up in something or another, it's just nice to you know, watch Netflix for a night and just not have to think about the rest of the world. But sometimes it gets a bit more serious. Sometimes we use escapism to, to just escape our life. And it could be like things like Netflix. It can also start to get heavier. You can use drink to escape from the world. You can use uh, fantasy worlds to escape the reality because we can't deal with the here and now. The reality is all of these things we put faith in, although some of them are good things, are not the same as what God offers us. What Jesus offers us is life and life to the full. And so what Jesus is saying is not have faith in me rather than just not having faith at all. He's saying, hey, these other things you're having faith in, they can't promise what I can promise. And so the question that Jesus would ask us today is, what, what do you put faith in? Like at the end of the day, where do you really go? When life is tough, when things are hard, when you're looking for joy or meaning or purpose, where do you go? Because Jesus said he's going to satisfy us in a way that nothing else can. The Bible paints a picture that we were made to know God. We were made, if you like, with a God-shaped hole in each one of us. And we can lob all this stuff in there that we like. Affirmation, money. Hey, I've got some great kids or a great wife or whatever else. You can lob all this stuff in there. Trying to satisfy us, trying to fulfill us, trying to give us hope and purpose, security and comfort. But Jesus says, I'm the only one who's going to satisfy that. It's a bold, outrageous claim I appreciate. But Jesus says, I will satisfy you. And so in the end of Galatians 2.20, it says this, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me 
and gave himself for me. Tom and Joe, and indeed anyone who's a Christian, can leave this place knowing I'm loved by God. I think the rea- if we're being completely honest, like this moment is always encouraging. Like no matter what you believe, getting to have a whole bunch of people pray for you, be excited for you, like Tom and Joe, whatever you guys believe, this moment is encouraging and exciting. It's tomorrow that's tough. It's the next day. It's the next year. Where is my hope going to be? Because I may have some great friends, but we all know that that's not quite enough. Why am I still unhappy? I have these amazing friends, amazing family, amazing parents. Like, why am I not complete? Jesus completes us in a way that nothing else will. And he loves us. And that's why uh, Joe and Tom will leave this place secure. God is with me. Who can be against me? It's a, it's a wonderful privilege to have God with us. So we talk about confession as well. Confession is an odd word. Confession is, is declaring, I'm all in. I'm all in. And we declare it like publicly, like those guys just did. We also can declare it to our lives. And I think part of the, the, um, the, the walk of a Christian needs to be over and over again confessing, where is my hope? Because there's times when I get distracted by things that um, promise hope, that promise joy, that promise to satisfy me, but won't in the same way I know Jesus does. And I have to time and time again step away from these things, which are sometimes really good things. Like, I'll maybe throw myself into my work. And I, I really like my work. My work's great. I enjoy it. I get to do lots of fun things. But it won't give me the hope and meaning that I long for in my life. And so I have to turn away from my work sometimes and say, look, this isn't going to satisfy me in the way that I long for. And confess again, Jesus, you're my hope. You're my joy. In you alone do I have hope for tomorrow. My job isn't going to give me that however wonderful my job is, all right? And the mistake we make is, well, maybe need a new job or a new wife or, uh, like, you know know what I mean. I'll upgrade everything and maybe then I'll be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. And Jesus makes it very clear, I give life. Nothing else will, will compare. So the final bit is we say in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is, uh, yeah, it can, be, it can be a little bit confusing. I think sometimes we um, hear in the name of, and uh, no, just in the name of, it, it, remi- it reminds me of, uh, some of you remember He-Man, uh, by the power of Grayskull. It just sounds like this old phrase that we don't, I lost like half of you there. Clearly not many of you grew up in the 90s like I did. Um, but, but essentially in the name of means in the authority of And we use this phrase, particularly because it's a direct command of Jesus. We see in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is the the last command that Jesus gives his disciples before um, going back to heaven. And it's a picture of the church. It's what the church is supposed to be, declaring this good news of who Jesus is, continuing to, as Jesus did, trusting in God's, and declaring this good news of who, who he is. That he gives hope and joy unlike anything else. That he's worth it. Just like Jesus, um, it's not always popular. But just like Jesus, it genuinely satisfies unlike anything else. And so uh, what we see is in the authority of means that this is not a human thing. 
When we baptize Joe and Tom, it's not just a bunch of humans uh, recommending to another bunch of humans that this would be a really good idea. You should totally do this. This is something that God has specifically called us to do, and God is in. In this action of being baptized, you were saying, God, I'm following you. I am walking in the power and the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this, like to jump into the Trinity, is a really big subject. But just to highlight a few little parts of what it means to live with these um, three parts of the Godhead. God, three in one. It looks a little bit like this. You are loved by the Father perfectly, completely. We all have fathers who are imperfect. Some of them are really imperfect. Some of them just screw up a few things. But the reality is God the Father loves us perfectly. Our world is crying out for fathers. Now, we each long to be loved unconditionally. And this is a love that God has given us through the Father. We're, we're, we are saved for the glory of the Son. We see this wonderful picture in Revelation of Jesus being revealed. That he's glorious on display for all the world to see. We have in, in each and every one of us a desire, a longing for glory for wonderful, beautiful things. And sometimes our lives, maybe it's just me, sometimes our lives can feel a little bit pedestrian. It can feel a little bit boring. It can feel a little bit mundane. And I don't know, maybe I just haven't traveled enough. Maybe I need to travel more. Maybe I need a more interesting job. Maybe, I don't know, I need to live in somewhere a bit more interesting. I don't know, I really like Eltham. Maybe it's just a bit too quiet. Living for the glory of Jesus gives me all the excitement I need. I have this wonderful, glorious God who's at work in me and in people around me. I get to pray and stuff happens. I get to see little snapshots of the glory of God. This is so exciting. And living in the authority of God the Son looks like this. And finally, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've chatted about this loads today. The Holy Spirit is one who lives with us. I don't know if any of you have managed to meet some of your heroes before, some of the people who maybe are your um, idols or people that you really look up to. I got to meet a few months back a bloke called Andy Crouch, who I love Andy Crouch. He's wonderful. He's, he's American, so I really don't get to see him that often. And he's a wonderful guy. And I just remember before going up to meet him, I was, I was like sweaty. I was like, me, like messing up my words. And, and I'm just got them, I love you, Andy. You're great. And I'm just like, what did I say? And I came away and I was really embarrassed. I was like, oh my goodness. What are and, and we do have this weird thing when we meet with someone who we love and respect and just get so much out of these moments as such treasured moments. And God says that the creator of the universe will meet with us through the Holy Spirit, like any time we want. This is crazy. I think we, we sometimes miss, we, I certainly as a Christian for a decade, I miss how significant this is. Good job. <laughs> I, I miss how significant this is, that God wants to speak to me directly. Not through someone else who's really spiritual and reads their Bible more than I do. God wants to talk to me through the Holy Spirit. And this is why we have this worship time at the beginning and this is why we, throughout the week, spend time meeting with God and asking to hear from him because God wants to speak to us. And, and I think we sometimes miss how huge that is. This is what it means to walk with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, these guys have made a commitment. They've made a commitment with their lives. And we have, as their family, if you like, got to share in a little bit of that. 
But we can't leave here just thinking, well, that's great for them. That's awesome for you guys. Great job. Because what they're committing to is so outrageous, we cannot just leave it. And I remember when um, I, I, so I've experienced Christianity for most of my life. I got christened as a kid. You know, I went through uh, lots of um, times going to church for tradition and things like that. It was always this like uh, background noise, if you like, of just Jesus is this. I was like, yeah, sure, that's great for you. And then I met a guy who who had become a Christian and just he he just gave off something that I couldn't ignore. This guy actually really likes being a Christian. Something is weird about this guy. I need to figure out what is going on in his life. And I just started to ask more questions. I asked more questions. And then I went and visited his church. And I came to something like this. I was like, wow, this is weird. But they, they seem to be pretty uh, sure that this guy, that God actually is real and he exists and he gives them hope. I need to ask some more questions. And wherever you are, some of you may have been Christians for a long time. Some of you may have listened to this kind of stuff for a really long time. And you're like, sure, I've heard all of this before. Have you experienced it, though? Have you, this Jesus that you've heard about for so long, and like we're in a, a, you know, a country that talks about Jesus all the time. So of course you've heard about Jesus at some stage. But do you know Jesus? Because that's what he's offering. And I, I, like at bare minimum, you have to look into this. Because that's outrageous. And when we have that kind of offer on display, it, it is, it's just illogical to be like, nah. <laughs> or I just, I just want, you know, it's, nah, I've got, I've got other things going on. Like, really, God is offering the new life and getting to know who God is. And at bare minimum, that's worth investigating. And so that was what my friend told me. And I was like, yeah, right. And asked some more questions. And uh, yeah, 10 years, I'm still loving Jesus. Because he's worth it. Because there's nothing else like it. And so I'd encourage you, if you're here today and, and this is new to you, this is not something you've really experienced before, um, there's a few things you can do. First of all, I'm going to pray in a moment and I'd love you to pray with me. And uh, to be honest, the reality is no one will know. So you can do whatever the heck you like, right? But I'm going to pray and you can pray along with me. The second thing you could do is chat to someone about it. Maybe you've come with a Christian. Um, I'd love to talk to you. I don't know. That might not be a good thing. So maybe talk to someone else. But there are Christians here who would love to talk to you. Yeah? Um, and another thing, we run every now and again these things called Alpha Courses, which are run over about five to ten weeks, depending, depending how much budget we've got, what basically. And, and we basically spend time talking about who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Why is he worth investigating? Why is he worth knowing? And I'd really encourage it. Either way, I'm going to pray for us right now. Um, and we're going to finish the meeting in a little bit. Um, but this opportunity is still there. Whether you're on a sun- here on a Sunday or not, Jesus is still giving you this opportunity. He's still um, giving you this offer. Lord God, thank you so much for coming down to an earth, who, to a people who didn't deserve you. Heaven was great for you, and yet you got off your throne, came down to earth to relate to people who would mock you, who would torture you, who would reject you, and who would eventually crucify you. God, you did all of this for us. You didn't have to, and yet you chose to. God, thank you that you sought me out despite me deserving nothing of your goodness and your grace. God, thank you that you offered up yourself but more than that, more than dying on a cross, you rose again with life in your hands. And God, I thank you that now those who trust in you have life. 
And so, Lord God, today, today we put our trust in you. We say, Lord God, take, take all of my sin, take all of my guilt and my shame and my old me. And Lord God, would you give me new life? In your beautiful name, amen.